This episode is sponsored by Grizz Targets and Archery, hands down the best targets made right here in Alberta. I'm very thankful to have partnered with these amazing guys putting out high quality products. Their targets range in all sizes. The Backpacker is their most portable target, great for checking your sights while you're in the backcountry to make sure your arrow is still flying true. This thinner 12 inch by 12 inch target can double as a seat or a flat surface when cooking. Multipurpose like that is essential when packing light. When you want to have some fun testing your skills at long distances, the Kodiak makes for the perfect target. It boasts a massive 48 inch by 48 inch surface to assure you that you won't be digging in the grass for your arrows. It's also great for when your buddies and you want to shoot together without having to take turns. Grizz makes quality targets affordable with options for interchangeable cells that keep you from needing to buy an entirely new target when the bullseye gets worn. They also have options for frames and stands and targets for field points and broadheads. You want a target that's as tough as you? Get Grizzly Tough with Grizz Targets and Archery. Be sure to check them out at grizztargetsarchery.ca. This episode is sponsored by CND Archery. CND is Alberta owned and operated, offering two pro shops in Rosalind and Maleg. Owners Corey and Doug have more than 25 years of combined knowledge and experience to get you set up properly and to maintain your gear for years to come. CND Archery is Canada's only distributor of expedition bows. They carry tons of great gear that you won't find anywhere else. Corey and Doug support local by carrying many Alberta-made products from arrows to accessories. Get in touch with the guys on Facebook or Instagram today at CND Archery to set up your visit. This episode of Alberta Wildlife Stories is sponsored by Slayer Calls. Bill Ayer, CEO and founder of Slayer, puts in immense workmanship and quality control into every one of his calls. Not one of his products makes it into your hands without first meeting his high standards. Slayer currently makes calls for waterfowl, elk, and turkey. Their double reed duck calls boast superior craftsmanship and award-winning performance with wildly loud sound. They have a full range of elk reeds, custom bugle tubes, and in my opinion, the best push-button elk call on the market, known as the Enchantress. This push-button call allows you to get a variety of noises, from great cow sounds to estrus buzzes and big location bugles when paired with the swagger tube. Slayer makes many other products, from goose calls and turkey reeds to lanyards, bags, and gear. They even have online courses to get you calling like a pro. Check out everything they have to offer at slayercalls.com and call the wild. This episode of Alberta Wildlife Stories is sponsored by Precision Edge Taxidermy. Owner and operator Hunter Friesen from Stetler, Alberta puts outstanding craftsmanship into every mount to turn your most memorable stories into conversation pieces for your home. Precision Edge does everything from Euro mounts to anything big game, along with waterfowl, small game, and everything in between. Next time you connect with a trophy, connect with Hunter at Precision Edge Taxidermy. Find his stunning array of work on display on Instagram and Facebook at Precision Edge Taxidermy and contact him today. Welcome to another episode of Alberta Wildlife Stories. Joining me on the podcast today is Tyrell Stoney. Tyrell is another member from Straight Shooting Outdoors. You can find the man roaming the province for all types of fish and game. Tyrell is a family man with his wife and his daughter always by his side along for the outdoor journey. 
Tyrell, thanks for coming on to share some stories, man. How are you doing tonight? Pretty good. How are you? Doing good, man. But uh, yeah, I just wanted to start this conversation and it's usually how I end the conversation, but man, we are like two days away from what is mainly open season here for bow season. Uh, I know some guys have already gotten out on the sheep opener and uh, there's some places that are kind of already open around the province, but uh, you got any plans for this coming weekend, the long weekend or? Well, I'm, I'm one of those guys that uh, the zone I live in actually opened on the 25th. Oh, so uh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I've been out once I got out for one evening sit, but you know, work, work and stuff has kind of kept me from, from getting back out again. But uh, yeah, no, it's, it's exciting. I'm, I'm looking forward to this season and, and seeing what, uh, what happens. I don't have any draws or anything uh, like that, you know, something special to look forward to. It's just another season to, to chase big games. So Nice, man. Yeah. I'm, pretty, uh, I'm pretty jealous you've already been out because I'm sitting here counting down the hours and same thing, counting <laughs> down the work and everything. I'm, I'll start Friday night after work, but... Uh, Perfect. Yeah, yeah, it's hard to uh, not think about. I'm just trying to do things to not think about it, so... <laughs> yeah, cool. yeah, and it's still... it's Because it's my first year, you know, with that August 25th opener, it's still... Like, hasn't really settled in because it's August, so I'm not... My mind just isn't naturally thinking about uh going out to hunt it's still thinking about hunting you know what i mean like it's just yeah i, I guess work it keeps me preoccupied too but yeah no, i i haven't gone out too hard yet so that's funny so uh what do you do for work uh construction contracting i'm uh i have my own business so it's uh yeah it's a lot of work yeah no kidding what's the uh the name of it if you want to give it up uh true north construction and contracting nice and uh not to give out the zone you're in or anything like that or whatever but uh, what area of alberta are you based out of uh i'm probably 20 minutes east of edson okay yeah so yeah lots of lots of crown land up here which is awesome yeah that's crazy and it's a and it's a super short bow season. Uh, rifle open September seventeenth for me, as well. Certainly. So, man, I am, yeah. I'm familiar with that unit for sure because I'm like still live pretty close. I'm just outside Edmonton, but yeah, man, that's that's crazy. I didn't realize rifle opened up so quick. Yeah. So, do you still uh, shoot the bow in during rifle season, or do you do you kind of switch over once it hits? Um, well, like I said, I, I, uh, this is my first year in this zone. I actually just moved up here, uh, in July. So I'm, I'm not sure, you know, like my, my acreage and stuff, I'll hunt, I'll probably stick to just bow. Um, and you know, that pursuit of more and more bow kills is, is always a, a goal of mine. So, you know, I'm, I'm definitely going to try and fill some tags with the bow but i might just pack a rifle in case i, I get onto some elk or something and can't get them into bow range i don't want to pass that up so <laughs> yeah that's always the uh the toss-up for sure but yeah yeah i was definitely kind of talking about something similar with just kind of dabbling my feet into traditional archery and i'm scared to go out with without my compound bow and bow season <laughs> so i don't really want to do that yet but 
Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, so you got a place there. Did so? Are you born and raised in Alberta, or is that uh, have you lived here? Yeah, you life? bet. Yeah, I. Uh, yeah, yeah, I grew up on a small farm just outside of Okotoks. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, and so uh, after I graduated, I moved down to Lethbridge for schooling, and then stayed there for thirteen years, and then. Um, just wanted to get out of the city and onto my own, my own acreage and stuff. And, uh, really like the area up here. Um, my, my brother's up here, spent a lot of time up here last fall hunting and stuff. And yeah, we, uh, we picked up and moved up and yeah, looking forward to exploring a new, new, new country here. Man, that's awesome. That's a yeah. heck of a move for sure. And yeah, to get on an acreage and, so how many acres do you got there? Uh, 23. Oh, small. So are you going to yeah. just primarily, like are you primarily hunting on your own acreage then, or are you going to be going around to a couple other spots and stuff too? Or um, I have one, one little spot kind of right in the middle that uh, that's, there's some pretty heavy game trails through and stuff. So I'll, I'll hunt that with my bow, but um, I back onto a bunch of crown land. So I'm, I'm going to go explore that a bunch and, um, just because of how my acreage acreage is situated to the neighbors, um, I wouldn't want to rifle hunt it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's probably 20 acres of trees, so it's super nice that way. It's really quiet, but, uh, um, yeah, I just, right. I wouldn't rifle hunt it. I just bow hunt my, my own place. Yeah. That's cool. And was that a big factor when you're like shopping around for places? Or? Yeah. Well, and, and, uh, you know, growing up on the, the farm and stuff, we always had chickens and pigs and, and horses and that. And that's something that, you know, me and my family now want to, to do is start raising our own animals and, and things like that. So, um, just having a minimum number of acreage was, uh, was a big factor, and so the farther north you go, the more affordable things are. And then, you know, you're going up this far and when you can get it covered in, covered in trees and, you know, when you're, there's moose sign and elk sign and deer sign everywhere, it's definitely a selling feature. <laughs> yeah. I just think it's funny because I'm thinking about like the realtor showing you like, you know, the living room and the view through the picture window and you're just in the backyard like, yeah, no, no, I just got to see if there's some tracks back here or something. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, the house, you know, and we're a uh, small house, big shop, big yard kind of kind of people, so. Nice. Outdoor living. Yeah, yeah you bet. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's too cool, man. So exactly. uh, when I was talking to Corey Burke there, he mentioned that, you got in through straight through straight shooting, sorry, through uh, a trail camera, or I don't know if it was a trail camera or a giveaway or something they were doing. Yeah, they did. Uh, they did a giveaway for uh, some swag and stuff, and yeah, I, I happened to win and uh, met Adrian. He, you know, we we clicked right off the bat, and um, when I was picking up my stuff, I yeah, we sat there and, and talked for probably almost an hour and. And then, yeah, we just, you know, stayed in touch and, and stuff through social media and texting. And and then we went out hunting and just kind of, you know, um, 
created a friendship that, uh, yeah, has been strong ever since. It's, uh, yeah, pretty cool. That's awesome, man. So, uh, was were you like, cause I know they're mainly Southern Alberta. Like when you were down doing your school and stuff like that, was that when you were like primarily hunting with them or? Um, it was, uh, let's see, two or three years ago. So I was well done school. I finished my apprenticeship in 2013, I think. So I was well done school. I just, you know, was working down there and whatever. Um, and I hunted a lot down South, you know, 304, 306, those kind of areas. And, um, I hadn't done a ton of bow hunting, you know, I was still, you know, I'd only bow hunted four or five years, I think, before meeting Adrian and all my bow hunting was done kind of typically around um, where I grew up in, in 212, the bow zone there. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, Adrian took me out and introduced me to spot and stock mule deer hunting through the coolies and <laughs> uh, and stuff. And then, yeah, actually through work, I had, you know, been on the same job sites as Corey. So I already knew Corey um, just in, in day-to-day life kind of thing. And mm-hmm. then we have a mutual friend that uh, we both hang out with and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was good. That's cool, man. It's cool how that kind of all came together between the three of you guys. And I know Adrian's dad's on this too. Yeah, man, mm-hmm. that's sweet. Yeah. yeah, and now I'm like, Adrian's trying to convince me to, you know, crawl across these fields for mule deer in my area. And I really want to do it, but I, <laughs> I don't know. I am I know I'm going to blow it then for sure. And I mean, you got to blow it before you're successful, but. Yeah. Oh, it's, okay. yeah, it's, it's so frustrating but it's, you know, in the, in the moment and, you know, throughout the season, you can get worn down, but looking back now, you know, especially in my zone, like there isn't even a muley doe season here. Uh, and muley buck is like an eight year draw or something. Just, there's not a lot of mule deer here. You know, that is something that I am going to miss is, is that spot and stock mule deer hunting. Cause it's just, it's such good hunting in, in Southern Alberta for mule deer. It's super unique and it's a really cool way to do it for sure. Yeah. And you see tons of nice deer too, which is always, you know, if you don't get something, at least if you see a bunch of, a bunch of animals and it's, you know, it makes it easier. Yeah. It's still somewhat of a success. You know, there's air. You're like, yeah, it doesn't feel like you're in the middle of nowhere with nothing around you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's too cool. So growing up on the farm there and everything, uh, were you like hunting growing up or like when did you start getting into hunting and fishing? Um, yeah, well, right off, right off the bat, right out of the gate, my, my family, um, my mom and dad both hunted, my dad's dad hunted, his dad hunted, you know, um, and it was, it was more for, uh, putting meat in, in the freezer. Um, so mom, mom and dad went out every year for a week or two and grandpa would come down and watch my brother and I, um, and then, yeah, it was always, you know, when, when they were supposed to come home, we're always waiting at the window and the truck would pull into the drive and we'd run out and see what mom and dad were bringing home. And, uh, you know, they, they got us involved at a very young age. I can remember, um, being, 
sat up at the, we had a raised eating bar around the island and um, dad would be right beside me, um, you know, carving, carving a leg and he would hand me little chunks to cut up for stew meat or, you know, very simple things that uh, I could do as, as a young kid, you know, four or five years old. Um, we'd always help him skin that kind of thing. Um, so, so yeah, hunting and fishing has been part of my life, uh, forever, my whole life. So yeah, it's, uh, I've been very, very fortunate that way. I just picture that in my head. I'm just like, what a cool way to, to grow up for sure. And it's just such valuable things that in today's day and age, you don't realize like how valuable it is to be brought up with those hands-on skills that you almost don't even realize you're learning while you're just doing those types of things with it, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then a, a big part of it too is, you know, a relationship with your food, right? And and the yeah. value that it that it has. I definitely am like a adult onset hunter myself, as the key phrase goes or whatever. I didn't grow up doing it myself. But okay. uh, I do like the that that way you put it is so perfect because the relationship with food for me, like because I did it, got into it more in adulthood, like changed so much, you know, like I was used to seeing pictures of like, you know, you, you'd see like, I don't know what the heck the correct word is for the pictures of like, you know, a cow with all of the sections, like, you know, what side this flank is from or the roast or whatever. Right. Like they kind of have the broken yeah, down, all, all the like cuts, the, all the cuts, you know, yeah. the cuts and like the butcher cuts or whatever, the diagram or whatever the butcher cut. And you know, I would see those pictures like growing up and you're like, yeah, okay, cool, whatever. And then it was like, once I got into hunting, all of a sudden, like as an adult, even looking at my plate of food was totally different. Even like, I'm not hunting a pig, but you know, bacon and back bacon and this and that, like all, everything just all of a sudden started taking shape of like where it came from and you know, how you would have cut it off the animal and cooked it to get it to where it was. And that relationship, like you say, like building that as a kid is so cool to have done that as a kid. And it's so, yeah. I don't know if it's like different or weird or interesting as an adult kind of going through like, like kind of all shifting or like altering that relationship with your food is really, really interested me. And it, it really changed my perception of it and in a really weird yeah. way. Yeah, for sure. And, and processing it yourself is, you know, hunting is awesome in itself. And there's so many things to be said about the value of, of that. But then you take that a step further and you start processing it yourself and, and to different levels, you know, like now, uh, my dad especially has helped me get into, you know, we don't, we don't send anything off to the butcher. We make our own sausage. We, we cure our own um, lunch meat and, and things like that, right? Like we, we don't, we don't send anything off and everything is done. So we know hundred percent what's, what's going into the food we eat. Yeah, man. That's uh, just so cool. And it is so valuable and to have that knowledge is so important because man, nowadays more, more often than not, is it becoming harder to go to a store and whether you know, it says organic on it or whatever. It's still increasingly harder to know what's in there. Like I know like my wife and I mentioned like she's Italian and her whole family's Italian. And like 
good food and knowing where you got your food is the most important thing. And, you know, a big garden is something we've always had and something they grew up with. Right. And, you know, yep. starting to get to know, like, you know, I've been with her for 10 years and well, just about 10 years now. And, you know, through that whole time period, it's like all we've gotten to know is all these farmers and build friendships with them through farmers markets and stuff in town and everything. Right. And it's like, you not only build a relationship with your food that way and you know what's on your plate, but the people that bring it, they're like, you know, do that service and everything. It's just really interesting. And it, it's something that's really, yeah, it's changed for me yeah, in adulthood a lot. And it's mm -hmm. so valuable. Like you said, just knowing what it is, how it got there. And I just think it's so cool that you guys are doing all of that. Cause I talk to a lot of people and it's not to put anyone else down of what you do. Cause we only, we'll only have so much time to, process everything and we want to make sure everything gets processed in the time that we do have you don't want anything to go to waste so i understand when some people use butchers and stuff but it's, oh for uh, sure yeah it's a cool topic for sure because um it's just extremely valuable and it's something that i've always taken part of and and you know i'm starting to get onto the point with and i know you're out there fishing a lot and stuff too but i'm like and i want to be like cutting and you know tanning patches of hide and you know having deer hair and moose hair and stuff for tying flies and everything and just starting to like really utilize everything right but yeah yeah i started i've tanned a few hides and actually my guest book if you will for my wedding was the the deer i had shot the previous year i tanned <laughs> the hide and then stretched it and wrapped it in some driftwood with uh leather leather lacing and that's what people had to sign for uh for my guest book that's so badass that's awesome <laughs> yeah and it's it, so my my wife when you know we we started dating in high school and so she was a vegetarian in high school uh she was a vegetarian i think she was 14 or 13 when she she made the terrible decision to <laughs> uh stop eating meat um, but you know, being with me and, and, you know, she really liked fishing. It was always catch and release. Um, until one day we we're out fishing and, you know, pike fishing, uh, pike hammered her lure and it was deep. And I says, well, you know, it's within it's, it's legal, it's legal size. I says, but I, I can't get this hook out and this fish, you know, it'll probably live because pike are really resilient, but I says, it's going to have a lure in its belly. So she's, I says like, it, it would be better to keep this. So she says, okay, yeah, well, we'll, we'll keep this one. So I killed the fish, but then there was that switch for her where, you know, she's, it was in her mind, her fault that this fish had to die. So from there, there on, she took over. She, she got it out, filleted the fish and she ate the fish which was a big thing because she didn't eat fish, right? So that was huge. And, and then she started eating fish after that. Um, and then I'm barbecuing venison steaks and man, that smells good, man, that smells good. And finally one day she says, well, can, can I try some of that? And I says, yeah, if, if you want. And uh, yeah, so she tried it and all she eats is wild meat and, and store-bought chicken. She'll eat chicken, but uh, all she eats is wild meat and then fish and, and chicken and then a couple of years later she she wanted to get into hunting herself and started hunting ducks and the following year she uh she actually went big game hunting and and uh got her first white-tailed doe but there was you know there's a big big transition there in um 
I guess that would have been 10, 10 years from being complete vegetarian to the hundred percent opposite of hunting, hunting her own food and, and, uh, eating wild meat. It's pretty cool. I think that's really cool, especially because, uh, it seems like there was like, um, I could uh, try to find the right words, but like a, an ethical shift in that decision. It wasn't just, oh, just like, you know, screw the vegetarian thing. I'm going to eat meat now. It, it seemed like, you, you know, if you went through the process of, okay, this fish is going to die now. And now it's like in the best interest to, to consume it for my own you know, life or whatever, right? Like, it, yeah. So it's just really interesting that that, you know, the choice to not eat meat is one that usually comes from, like, an ethical decision of not wanting factory farming or something like that or whatever, right? And then yeah, and that and that's what a big part of it was. Yeah, was the 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 treatment, the ethical treatment of animals for for her. I mean, she wasn't crazy on red meat, but she did like fish and chicken. But she just yeah. It was, it was the, like you said, the ethical thing. Yeah. And it's just so interesting because I just think that's a really cool shift to then go from, you know, and I, my head's kind of going everywhere thinking about that. Cause we had a moment where, uh, you know, we were at one of the farmer's markets here a couple of years ago and we had a lot of, there's a lot of vegetarian kind of protesters that will be outside the farmer's market. And they kind of, I don't want to use the word harassing, but whatever. They're kind of like yakking at people for carrying these like bags of meat out of the farmer's market. And I'm like, I always kind of stop and I'm like, man, you guys are talking to the wrong people. Like you should be standing outside McDonald's and maybe talking about this. Cause like these guys really care about the processing of their animals here. Like they're not like, I haven't seen people care so much about the stuff that's coming out of their farm. Right. So it's just interesting yeah. that you know, to go from that. Okay. But now if, I can be a part of that ethical transition of like life and death. So yeah, it's just a really meaningful thing. And I think that's really cool that it seems like that came from a lot of meaning for her. And yeah, that's really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was an awesome journey for sure to, to see. And, you know, it wasn't obviously I didn't pressure her, you know, yeah. So it, it wasn't me saying, no, try this, try this, try this. Cause now that just means that I don't get as many whitetail steaks, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, it, it was cool for sure. Man. And yeah, and good for her for, yeah, getting there. So she's, is she hunting this year again too? Yeah. Yeah. She, uh, she didn't get a chance with, with my moose draw last year as a little more selfish and then, time as well kind of got away but she didn't she didn't get out to hunt last year um but yeah the the year before she was she was pretty spoiled i took her out her first first day and by i think it was 10 30 10 30 she had her her first year down on her first day wow so that's yeah yeah there's kind of a kind of a honey hole there that it's very good for white tailed does and uh on the draw there down south and and uh yeah she did really good she uh hit her right in the lungs and yeah it, it didn't uh didn't go far man that's awesome crazy yeah so and then i'm assuming you guys are just more than excited to you know bring your daughter up how old's your daughter now uh she'll be four in october 
Nice. So just about, I mean, she's, I, I have a, a tough time like trying to figure out what age kids are doing what, because I just, my son's two and a half years old and I can, I still look around at kids and I'm like, I have no idea what age you are, or what your capabilities are at that age or whatever. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, for sure. But yeah, around like four or five, I imagine you guys are already probably getting there to do lots. I mean, we already got my son, you know, doing a bunch of gardening and picking stuff out and helping with food and everything like that. But yeah, I imagine you're already kind of putting around all the outdoor stuff out there. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think it was two, two years ago or maybe, yeah, it was two years ago. She came, came home for, um, I got my muley doe uh, up in 306 up in the Livingston range and so I brought it home and was with my, my good buddy there and I uh, hang the deer up and she comes home from a shopping date with mom for her birthday. And, and, uh, and then <laughs> she, she sees me in the, in the driveway with uh, the deer hanging in the carport and, you know, she goes inside and throws on her camo hoodie and comes out and she's walking around with a deer leg over her shoulder <laughs> and just right in there like a dirty shirt, you know, like just, yeah, loving it. So those got to be the moments that, yeah, you just really cherish seeing that. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and even, you know, she helped me last winter when we were ice fishing and, uh, getting out the fish and she's asking me all the the different parts and so I'm explaining you know swim bladder and liver and stomach etc and yeah she she loves it all yeah Dude, that's too cool and what a like yeah I just think it's a really powerful education to give them while you're out there like mm -hmm. it's such, a, such an awesome parenting thing for you guys to be doing to you know, explain, man, nobody told me what the heck that was at that age or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not a topic of conversation for me for many years. So it's just, you know, very insightful stuff. And yeah, awesome that you guys are doing that for sure. That's too cool. So I know you just mentioned too, like you had your moose draw last year, but yeah, I was wondering what the, you had a story or two or anything you wanted to share that was they're really meaningful for you in the last few years with hunting out there or fishing too, really anything. Yeah. Uh, well that, that moose for sure. It, uh, that's one that it, it's, uh, that's one hunt that I'll remember for a while. It's just, I, and I don't know if it's just because it's something different from typical deer hunting. You know, I've never been really successful elk hunting. I've had a lot of cool experiences, but I've never, I've never filled a tag. And, and so maybe that's, that's why this one is so special, but, um, I got my cow moose draw up North. <clears throat> um, and so I went up with my bow and I, I tried, I tried with my bow and I got into moose, you know, um, uh, I got into a really nice bull and he's the only one that stepped out and, and presented me with a shot. Uh, of course, I didn't have a bull tag. Uh, his cows stayed in the the thick, thick stuff, so no shot on them. But uh, you know, had chances uh, cow calf. But I I always let those uh, those pairs walk. Um, if there's a fawn or a calf with a mum, I I try not to uh, to shoot either. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, I went back up in November with my rifle and, you know, meat, meat was getting low. So I kind of gave myself a, a cutoff that I'd hunt hard for moose for the first couple of days. And then after that, I just, I need to get some, some meat in the freezer. So I'll switch to, I had supplemental tags. So I'll start shooting whitetail does, or if, if there's a buck, you know, um, with a rifle, I, I try to save, save my tag, um, like I'll only shoot a buck if he's going to be my biggest buck kind of thing. Cause I, I'd rather a doe than ruddy buck. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? So, um, so anyways, yeah, I, I was hunting cows and you know, you're bumping them in the thick bush, but you just can't get a shot or whatever it may be. So I, I'm not having any, any success. And I think it was day four um, I go out to this field where I have permission and, uh, it's not far from my brother's place, but, um, yeah, I go out there early in the morning and get, uh, checking around and stuff. Cause there's different little pockets of trees and then some, some pasture or some, some crops, sorry. And, uh, so yeah, it's first thing it's eight thirty, nine o'clock, still that kind of prime time at that time of year. And, uh, yeah, I see, I see some, some does in the neighboring property, which we don't have permission on, but they work their way through the trees and cut across this pasture. So I'm, you know, I'm thinking, perfect. I'll get, I'll get set up on, on these does and, and hopefully I can flip the switch on one or two of them. And so I prone out and I'm waiting and they're working their way through the trees and, and, in the it's a thin thin belt of trees and beyond that i see see movement and big movement and my brother says yeah there's movement in behind so i'm waiting and we realize it's this moose and she she exposes herself she crosses the the property line gets into the crop and uh so i put my my glass on it yeah it's cow moose so i tried the old man get her to stop and she's she's working she's moving through and um and she's not stopping and when my when i got up there my brother his his piece of advice uh was do not let the cow get into the swamp or the thick brush because retrieval will be a nightmare he says make sure if you hit that thing you get it down quick so that's that's always there in the back of my mind right so this thing's not stopping. Um, I range her. She's 216 meters. Um, so I, yeah, I put my hash mark on and send it. And so, yeah, she, boom, she kind of does the old stagger step and, and keeps moving. So I, I roll my bolt and boom, shoot again. And this time it's a bigger stagger step and she's slowing. So I thought, okay. And, uh, Boom, I shoot again and, and she does the old hunch. So I knew I was far back. I knew that wasn't a great shot, but it stopped her, which was which was good. Um so I, I gave it, I don't know, it, it felt like a minute, but it was probably about 10 seconds. And <laughs> so I've one more, one more in the chamber, and I'm waiting, and she's still standing there, she's still standing there. So I shoot again and she drops in place. So I thought, perfect, you know, and so I work the bolt, I drop another round in and I just wait and I'm watching, I'm watching and making sure she's not going to get up. 
and I start seeing, you know, the, the old snow spray and the, the legs kicking a bit. So I know she's, she's expired on the, on the edge of the field. Um, so that, you know, that relief washes over and it's, uh, really good feeling so i get up and my brother and i walk up there and and this was really cool too um because my brother moved up north here probably seven or eight years ago so this is the first hunt i've done with my brother for for a long time so it was really really special that way that i got that bond with him uh to go out hunting again um so yeah anyways we get up get up to this this moose and she died on the edge of the crop um <laughs> yeah yeah she had maybe maybe 10 yards and she would have been down into the swamp and into the thick stuff and it would have been a real nightmare to get her up so um yeah you walk up to these animals and you know they're big right um i don't know if you've you've ever moose hunted or been a, a part of a moose hunt but um you know they're big but when you walk up on these animals it's it's overwhelming it's these things are they're huge dude it's so and, i just put myself it, in the bozo in here and man even when i have one come by me it's like already overwhelming because of how big they are at that close range but yeah yeah for sure right so you know my first moose and, and all this so i'm super pumped um and uh so my brother, he, he, uh, he knows the, the landowner really well. So he said, well, let's get it out of the, the field here. Um, and, and up, up top, and then they'll let you work on this thing. And he was going to, uh, go get some reinforcements from, from home. So the landowner let him drive his, uh, he has one of those K5 blazers, so he four buys into the field. We hook up and we drag her up to the the front quarter, yeah. uh, off the main the main road. And uh, so now it's time for me to go to go to work. And I know what I have to do, but it's just you know you don't even know where to start just because everything's so on such a bigger scale, right? So I get my rope out and I start trying on uh, tethering legs. Um, of course didn't put it close enough to many trees so i pounded a peg in um i always carry a tomahawk with me um so i i cut a, a limb off and pounded a peg in and tethered a leg tethered a leg to uh, uh one of the trees that was close by and and start getting into this thing so it's really nice that way for you know if i need to cut a limb or getting through the pelvic bone to to access the uh the last little bit of intestine when i'm when i'm gutting out and stuff or splitting rib cage whatever that, that tool just it's comes in handy a lot so um yeah i i get into this uh get into this moose and it's just it's a full body workout <laughs> trying to move around guts and and all that getting in there and just yeah big big full stomach and you're rolling it and trying to roll it out and hold the leg and lift the leg and and stuff like that so um my brother shows up and, and helps me with the last little bit, but he has a, uh, he has a backhoe. So, um, he, we get this thing, got it out and he pulls right out up and, uh, scoops up the, the moose in the bucket <laughs> and we drive home and it's only, oh, I don't know, a mile and a half drive. 
so yeah, we drive home in this in his uh, backhoe, and then drop drop the moose and hook up the chains and lift her up with the backhoe, and it was it was the easiest drag and processing portion I've I've ever had to do. <laughs> so yeah, it was uh, super super fortunate for that. And then yeah, like just he pulled the quad up with the quad trailer and we lifted it over, so skinning skinning down the hide and everything just fell right into the the trailer so we could take it off into the back 40 and, and dump it and yeah yeah and then you know my, um went to work with with the processing and that took a little bit but yeah no it was uh yeah really really memorable like i said just because it's a different for, for a number of reasons different uh different prey you know different species uh, it's a first of the species, you know, I, I get to hunt with my brother again and just, um, yeah, everything went, went really well. Like I, I was really nervous about the, the loss of meat, like from, from gun, gunshot. Yeah. Um, but my, my shots, I had, um, the entry, the entry wound, I could fit my, my hand in sideways, you know, it was a massive entry and I found two bullets, uh, and then part of another one inside on, on the offside. Um, but I had my, my three go in basically, a, a four inch hole on the entry. And then with the exception of that one, I said that was a little far back, but that was towards, it, it clipped the stomach, but it didn't rupture everything. I didn't have a, a, a big mess in the, in the, uh, in the stomach, but, um, everything else was in front of that diaphragm and was in a, a four inch, um, four inch group. So my amount, the amount of waste was so minimal. Uh, it, it, I was, I was amazed. Like it, it was, yeah, it was minimal. I've had more waste from just a, a good shoulder shot on a, on a whitetail. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that was, that was really, really good. Really cool. Um, yeah, I got fill, filled a, a full 17 cubic foot freezer with meat and, you know, I, I share it, share it with the family and, uh, yeah, yeah, it was awesome. I just love the way uh, you described like getting into it because it's so overwhelming and like you say, it's cool, like how you're doing it with a rope and everything just to lift a leg over and stuff like that because like it's still doable, but it is so like once it comes time to like roll things over, whether like you say it's the stomach or the legs and you're trying to pull this over that way and that like it's overwhelming is almost not a good enough word for it because yeah, it doesn't do it justice, right? <laughs> but uh yeah, man. So are you, do you still have some of that moose or do you guys clear through it or like you guys eat it all already? Um, it's I'm getting low. Uh I'll be, I'll be done probably the end of November. I'll, I'll be yeah. done. Cause it, you know, wild game is primarily what we eat with the exception of, uh, fish and then the store-bought chicken. Yeah. Um, I, I did get, uh, I did get my whitetail doe last year as well. So that helped. Um, but yeah, dad didn't get anything last year he uh he was pretty busy with work for hunting season so um you know he was he was really grateful that i was uh generous in sharing that like like he is for 
for me, if, uh, you know, I, I only get one or, or two does or something like that, you know, he'll, he'll share, uh, you know, our family, we just, yeah, we all share our wild game and, and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, yeah. There's, uh, not much of the, the moose left. That's for sure. That's wild, man. And yeah, it should, yeah, I think that's the way it should be, you know, the celebration and the way to honor it with, yeah, giving, sharing that with family and everything and providing, right? Like it's a big, big thing of providing is what you're doing with them. Yeah. Yeah. That's when, right. When you uh, mentioned like hunting with your brother and stuff like that, is that something you guys have always like bonded over them growing up? Like you guys got to hunt a lot or? yeah yeah living living together and stuff yeah we and even when i was in lethbridge and he was in okotoke so we would still go hunt together uh hunted the porcupine hills a lot uh and and stuff like that but yeah just when he he made the move up north and because he loved this country so much um so he he bought a quarter of land up here and so yeah he just you know it was tougher and tougher to hunt together um so yeah that was definitely a big part of uh my season every year that was missing Mm -hmm. yeah i think that's so cool that you guys share that that's something i think i mentioned in the past but my brother's uh out in thailand and he's been living in thailand for over a decade now like working out there and now and i mean he comes back every few years and I still have to make a time to go out there. It's so much, yeah, time to carve out to make the long flight and everything. But, I bet. Um, but yeah, so he's come back a couple of times. And one of the times he came back was to get married. And yeah, he's got a wife and a daughter out there and everything now. And it's awesome. But it's funny because he's like fished here and there. And he's like, we're talking about him fishing out in Thailand and stuff like that. Like just for, you know, wildly different species than <laughs> here and you know and even like traditionally what they do for fishing or how they cook and eat it and what you know what they consider like table fare for good fishing or whatever the good fish for table fare and stuff is wildly different and really cool to kind of see that but uh yeah it's something that i'm like man because you know he's always talking about now because you know i got my son and he's got his daughter and we got to get the kids together and his actually it's really cool his daughter's now uh, dual citizen um so she'd be okay. canadian canadian and thai and uh cool. yeah and anyway i'm just i keep egging him on because in the same way that life gets busy and you don't get a lot of time together i'm like man next time you're in canada please make it in the fall so we can get out on something <laughs> i think yeah. that's so cool that yeah you're doing that with your brother and doing that out in the field and spend that time with family is just those are the moments you always remember and cherish too yeah yeah for sure and yeah and when you mentioned that that kind of offshore fishing i i uh was fortunate enough so my my in-laws they they're snowbirds they go down to mexico every every winter um and so this past february i think it was um we you know we made the trip down there to stay with them And so I, I said, well, you know, we're going, we're going to Mexico. I I would like to do some offshore fishing. And my wife was all in and says, yeah, we need to do it. So grandma and grandpa watched our daughter and we got out to, to, uh, do an excursion. And, um, so because they stayed there, 
uh, and they knew kind of some of the guys that lived there and spoke good English and stuff. So they got us on to some of the more like smaller, more local guys that kind of just do it. And they're not huge, these huge charter outfits. <clears throat> uh, it's just a small, uh, small outfit. So it's a lot more personable, right? So we go out in a, a smaller boat and, uh, you know, we says, yeah, it'd be cool to get a mahi mahi or something like this. Right. Yeah. Um, he says, yeah, we'll, we'll try, but it's not really the season. So we'll see what we can get. Um, and just like you said, the whole, the whole dynamic of fishing to them is, is so different. Like I, I'm talking to <clears throat> the guide and he says, you know, I ask him like, is there limits or, you know, do you, do you, uh, uh, like throw any back or, and, and he was just, you know, the, the idea of catch and release was so unheard of or foreign to him that yeah. like he didn't, he didn't understand, you know, like you don't throw that away. That's food. Right. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, it just, it, it was really interesting. And, and then, you know, because it was just my wife and I on this, this trip, right. Um, it, it was kind of unfortunate. She ended up getting seasick once we were out on the big water and stuff, but she pulled it together and, and started reeling in fish. So that was, that was good. It didn't totally wreck the, the trip for her, but, um, it was awesome because like I said, just me and her and, and the guide was super friendly and, and, uh, you know, he, he let me do, short short of baiting like they use live bait so they put a hook through the nose of the fish in a certain spot they have these 12 or 14 inch bait fish and uh so he he lets it run out lets the line run out and you're holding this big rod and he says yeah just kind of hold it and it feels like you know i have a fish on in in whatever Canadian fishing terms, you know what I mean? Like lake fishing, it feels like I have a, a fish on and that's just the constant um, vibration or whatever of this action of this live bait. <laughs> and so that, that was weird in itself to get used to. And then it would pick up and he says, yeah, when it, when it really starts humming, then you, you know that a predatory fish is getting close because this fish is getting, the bait fish is getting nervous. No way. And so you don't throw, yeah, and that's, and that's what they do. And you don't throw the, the, the hoop or the catch over on your, on your reel. You just pinch the line with your finger. Yeah. So I says, well, how do, how do I know when, when the fish hits? He, and he says, it will rip that line out of your finger. Like you, it'll rip it right out. So you'll know. And so I'm waiting and waiting and the, the vibrations will pick up and then they'll subside and then they'll pick up and then wham. And sure enough, that, that, uh, that line just gets ripped out. And so he says count. And so he starts counting out loud. And after about 10 seconds, then you slam that hoop over and you set that hook really hard and just reel and reel as fast as you can. And, and you almost think that the fish is off, but these fish are obviously, very smart and will run towards the boat and spit the hook if you don't reel fast enough. So you just got to reel, reel, reel until the thing starts fighting you. And then, and then it's, yeah, then it's awesome. Cause it's, it's like nothing I've ever caught, you know, where you got to lean forward and reel, 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 and then pull back 
yeah. and then lean forward real, 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 really quick. And it's just, it's uh, a fight from there. And then, uh, you know, someone else lands the fish for you. And, and, uh, you know, these things are just like, like nothing I've seen fishing in, in Canada, of course, cause it's a, a completely different offshore ocean fishing. They're just such a different animal than, than a lake. Right. You know, they're fighting way bigger predators and the currents, the ocean currents and, and everything like that. Right. So, um, then from there, uh, it was really awesome because he let me, he just let me go. And, and so the next one, he baits it and uh, let the line run out. And then I set the next one and get the fish on. So I'm fighting and Carly gets up there. I pass the rod off to her and he's letting me land the fish for Carly. So grabbing and grabbing it and then throwing them in and they got, you know, they got some, some teeth and some spines and stuff on them. So you got to watch what you're doing. And, you know, then the boats were rocking back and forth. So you got to get your, your ocean legs and, and stuff. But yeah, just letting, letting me get involved as much as I wanted to be, um, was just, uh, an awesome experience. And then even the, the processing of the fish as we're heading back in the, the boat captain spoke no English. And he was the guy that, that processed the fish. Uh, you know, the, he's yeah, very, very good at it. They, they eat a ton of fish. He's been doing it his whole life. So, you know, he has all his tricks and stuff. So he's at the back of the boat. So I get back there and, you know, working through that language barrier, um, to try and, and get in on that experience and, and get in on something we both love to do. Um, but, but, you know, obviously communication's a, a big barrier. So just like trying to act it out, you know, hand gestures and, uh, you know, body language, that kind of thing, working through that as well as the, cause he, he processed, uh, I forget how many fish we caught almost a dozen. And so processing them all in different ways. And because it's a different fish, you got to, it's not just a simple, flay it out and whatever right they have different bone structures and and things like that so uh that was that was really enjoyable experience for me as well was getting getting to that part and then just seeing how happy they were when because they gave us all this fish and i was like well i'm only here for another four or five days there's no way i can eat all this so and i want to share it with you because you know that's just how I am. Like I want to share, uh, the fruits of our labor with, with everyone involved. So I give so much of this to the, the owner and then the captain and the guide and and everyone just being so grateful for, you know, something to me, that's a small gesture, but just seeing how happy it made them was really rewarding as well. That is so freaking cool. I'm like, yeah, I could just picture that. Like, all of the detail of what you're talking about there too and i'm just like it's such a different way to to go back to what you were saying with even just fighting the fish and no like it's so funny how it's like so instinctive with all the different methods of fishing that like there's always that like you'll know <laughs> you know like when yeah. it starts peel and drag or when that line comes ripping out of your hand like you'll know right and then yeah there's different methods of like you say setting the hook or you wait for the time or whatever right 
but it's just and, so- and that was the that was the most difficult part because you know he he let me figure out so much stuff on my own and I lost probably just as many fish as we landed because that like once you get the fish on it's such a big hook and and stuff once it's set then you're not we didn't lose any once that fish was on and fighting but yeah. it was from the moment where it it bites and takes that bait fish to getting it to the the fight stage there was such a big learning curve in there for how long to wait before because they need to they need to kind of eat their way forward and get to that hook but then you know because they'll run to the boat and then spit it right there's there's something else there's so timing figuring out that timing once i had that down um then it was you know, you were, you were landing every fish that bit, but it's just, yeah, there's so much learning in, in that, for that section in particular that, uh, yeah, that was, that was really cool in itself. I haven't, I've always, you know, just seen videos of guys like ocean fishing or offshore fishing or even whether it's fly or whatever. And same thing it's always something that i've wanted to do and i've had buddies that have done it but no one's explained it like that like how totally different it can be and how much of a different monster it can be out there and yeah that's just so wild man do you know so do you know what kind of like what the species were that you were catching like did you end up catching mai mai or was it different species Mm -hmm. or no we only landed um bonita so it's kind of i forget it's kind of like a skipjack tuna um kind of but not really like it, it the meat is comparable to tuna interesting and so yeah yeah it's probably really good then like you guys probably really no. enjoy yeah really really good and we kept the uh the eggs to try caviar yeah and uh mexican caviar they called it and <laughs> The first bite I had, I had left it in the egg sack. I cooked it the way they told me, and I kind of left it in there and yeah. took a bite. And it was it was very powerful. It was a little strong for me, and I wasn't terribly fond of it. But once you like take it out of that and it, you're just eating the eggs, um, all three of us, my, my in-laws didn't, didn't try it, but Willow, Carly, and myself all really enjoyed it. Wow, that's cool. I'm sorry, so is Willow Willow's your daughter's name? Is that... Yes. Yeah. Oh man, that's a beautiful name. I love it. Yeah, thanks. And the just a little side note, like we so we want to go, we would like to go back for Mahi yeah. Mahi and then Marlin. Um, you know, Marlin would be really awesome. And so Marlin you need you need like twelve hours or sixteen hours or something, he said. So you go out and you you buy your bait fish there's guys that just net and they're sitting out there on the way out of the the dock and then you buy your bait fish from them you go out you catch a bunch of these bonitos that becomes your live bait holy shit yeah so these i don't know they were probably anywhere from 8 to 15 maybe 20 pounds but probably in in that 8 to to 12 most of them were uh 8 to 12 pounds those become your bait fish that's insane yeah so then he shows me it's an even bigger hook that goes through the face of these (laughs) things and then they send them out 
I'm like, well, holy cow, like that's, oh, I just, yeah, that would be so unreal. So yeah, that's, that's the dream is uh, to be able to, to go out and, and get onto some Marlin. Yeah, man, that's, yeah, I think that's a, one of my, actually, one of my brother's friends, we've become pretty decent friends too, just from all talking and whatnot. And uh, he's had some experience offshore fishing and he actually lost a marlin, like they had one on and lost it. And he was still like, you know, you can, when he tells that story, he's still like, oh man, to this day, he's like, I don't know if I'll ever have that experience again and how crazy it is but i didn't realize yeah. how like dominant dominating the food chain of being like okay we caught this fish it's like it's kind of like gambling right where you're like do we take what we have or do we double down and now put a hook in this one and send it out and see what happens right like yeah yeah it's uh yeah that's a good way to put it yeah it's just funny. That's so cool. I, I was going to ask you too, like how big those Benito or Benito, Benito or whatever, how big they usually are. Cause now I'm going to go look them up. But yeah, uh, yeah, they're, they're crazy. beautiful fish, good color and, and stuff, but yeah, they, they fight for sure. Oh, that's too cool. And I'm a big fan of uh, caviar too. Like I, I haven't just recently, I've been kind of eating more fish eggs and stuff just when we're getting sushi and stuff like that. And um, yeah, it's something I've, grown quite not i don't know not just grown to enjoy it quite a bit yeah yeah and it's interesting i've never had like proper you know fancy caviar from uh sturgeon or anything like that but this is we had mexican caviar and then yeah like at sushi restaurants and stuff but yeah it was uh it wasn't bad that's cool man that's so wild yeah that you oh man i'm gonna you have to keep in touch for sure if you uh end up going out there and get into i'm sure i'll be looking out for the picture anyway if that yeah yeah and that's too cool so with the uh, fishing and stuff like that do you get into any of the you know i know fall can be pretty dang good for fall fishing as well or do you, do you kind of just hold off for the hunting season yeah no that's uh i take i take a time out on fishing for the most part unless it was you know down in lethbridge there was some lakes that were close i could rip out after work but um yeah that's that's my time i i dedicate to to hunting and then wait for for the hard water as they call it yeah i'm the same way there's like it's like until uh ice fishing until the season's done yeah i'm not i'm not going (laughs) yeah yeah no that's crazy man so uh was there any other stories or anything like that you wanted to share too like going on with that um, I don't know. None are really, uh, uh, jumping, out. jumping, jumping out at me, um, for just a, just a good story to tell. Usually I have to be prompted or asked a question or something, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the way it seems to go, but yeah, no, I, nothing, nothing's ringing a, ringing a bell right now. Yeah, no, that's all good. I just want to make sure while we're kind of on the topic of all the stories and stuff that, yeah, that if there was anything you wanted to share for sure, I would don't want to yeah, move on to a different topic or anything like that without yeah. missing out on something, but that's too cool. I'm just, yeah, I'm still just really jealous of the offshore. It's still playing in my mind visually what I think that would have looked like. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, that's just so wild. 
Yeah, and it, and it was wild. Like there was this one, this one just random clump of you can't even call it an island. Like it was just this big rock jutting out of the the water, and all the all the charter boats take their guys out there because the fishing is so good there. And swim around it. Yeah, and so you see like six other boats, but no one's catching anything. And then here we are and we're just, we're just landing fish after fish. And pretty soon all these other boats just take off. <laughs> wow. That was, that was kind of funny, but I, I don't know what our guy did different, but uh, yeah, there was, uh, and then, yeah, the whales were out there. They were breaching, which was pretty cool to see. I'd never seen a whale before. So that was something else, but yeah, that was a little, I guess, side note on that story is, it was just, yeah, they just beeline right out to the good spot and yeah. Just push you right on it in the yeah. middle of the ocean. That's, That's right. There's honey holes in the ocean too, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, you see guys doing that even, I've seen quite a bit recently. I actually just had a friend that went out to uh, do some offshore stuff and I don't know what, you know, and I'm going to butcher trying to describe what those are, but like all the, what the heck is it? Like the the big rigs and everything that are out in the ocean. Like the offshore drilling rigs, you're saying? Yeah. Or the, yeah, the offshore drilling rigs, yeah. Okay. There'll be like, because they're creating like structure out there. Yeah. There'll be just like, same thing like you're saying with the rock or something, that like everything's just going to like any structure. Like even if there's just like a rotten, you know, rusted out barrel floating in the water there's going to be fish around it or something like that right like they're just flocking to any form of structure so you see a lot of guys now going around these kind of like drilling sites and stuff like that because all the metal poles and everything for all the legs and all the limbs for the structure are like creating all this in water structure that all of a sudden all these fish are like flocking to i guess oh too cool yeah so there's actually quite a bit now that i've started to see of lots of guys like fishing around them and then i actually just had a buddy from uh high school that went out and did some offshore fishing and they ended up uh yeah right at, right next to one of those kind of big drilling rigs and that's what they were all kind of their honey hole was and it was just interesting to see like yeah how much of that there is but that's too cool i don't know if you watch any of those like you know like give me swimmy and the people doing the uh what is it like the spear fishing I've seen I've seen some some videos uh um of guys doing spear fishing. That looks really interesting. Dude, yeah. I like I I'd give that I, a go. I, I would give it a go, but I don't know if I have the like the stamina for it, <laughs> the physical demand of that. Like, you know, if it's if you're just swimming around the top of the water, sure, and like diving a little bit, but some of these people are like straight up looks like they're hunting they're like sitting behind structure underwater and everything and yeah you know, and they like, wait it's like how do you have the the lung capacity they make it look so easy you know and yeah i'd be i'd be huffing and puffing <laughs> get me on that's the boat what I, that's what i was thinking man like you know and i was watching the videos and i was like that would be a rush like i'm like that would be crazy and i would totally try it one day and then you know just out family camp and we ended up going to a pretty big kind of wilderness village campsite there down by rocky mountain house and where uh, they got a swimming pool and stuff there so we're out beating the heat in the swimming pool and i'm like 
diving around under the water in the swimming pool. And I'm like, man, I can hardly hold my own in a little pool like this. Like how the hell would I ever do that? <laughs> right. Maybe if you had like scuba gear and you had tanks and stuff that you didn't have to try and surface. Um, but if you're just doing a snorkel, yeah, I'd be, I'd be down and out in a couple minutes. <laughs> but there's a, there's a community of guys that do it for bike in Alberta here. Hey, is that right? Yeah. I, there's actually, uh, one of my dad's buddies, um, oh man, I can't remember the name for the life of me. And he would do it. And he actually said, uh, he would spearfish for pike and he would kind of swim through the, like through weeds and through the reeds and stuff. And he had a pretty big pike. I think it was actually out at Wob. Like it was anywhere that you could keep a pike, right? Because obviously, yeah, like, blatantly don't need to say that that's not catching release but right yeah <laughs> but uh what he had told me was that the whatever like the reflection of his like goggles or his mask or his swim goggles or mm -hmm. whatever yeah caused uh pike to strike like his face basically yeah no thing. Like, yeah he said it was like the scariest thing ever that you know it was basically and no no harm or nothing like he didn't get a tooth in the face or anything like that like he there's no injury or anything but yeah just to hear the story of and i mean pretty big size pike to be going for your goggles or going through your big fate like diving mask or whatever and uh, yeah you just said like he, i think he said it was a year or something after that until he like went back at it it like scared the shit out of him so much that oh yeah I, I believe it yeah. Some of those, some of those slew sharks, man, they get big and there's Ooh. a lot of teeth in them. Ooh, yeah. And you're just playing around with them down there. That's like, I have a pretty big fear of open water and not a fear that is something like that would hold me back from doing it. It almost is like a fear that would make me want to experience it more, but yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. I talk a lot about it right here while I'm in the basement of my house, but I'll <laughs> 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 be the first one to tell you to drive me back, but. Yeah, and at least in an Alberta lake, you don't got to worry about real sharks. That's just it, yeah. <laughs> but I don't know if it's something I'd ever... It'd be tough to put in the effort and really get into it out here, but at least it'd be somewhere that if you if you ever wanted to take it serious, you could at least kind of have some... Yeah, and I, I, I think there's only a few lakes that you're allowed to do it at. If I, yeah. if I remember right, like it's not, you can't just go to, to any lake where pike is legal. It has to be specific. There's only a, a couple in Alberta or something that they allow it. Okay. That would be a good thing to mention before, for, for sure. But as I'm here, just like, yeah, I don't know what he did, but pretty much just went out and did it. But yeah, that would make more sense that, yeah, for the legality of it, the spearfishing would only be legal in certain spots and. Yeah. I don't know. And, the and I know, like I know bow fishing, um, you can't, you're not allowed to bow fish any pike anywhere in Alberta. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. There's only, uh, like you can't bow fish walleye, pike, uh, trout, grayling, anything like that. Like you're limited to perch, sauger, suckers, um, that kind of thing. Man. That's wild to me because, like, you know, bow fishing looks cool as heck. Like, it looks super cool. 
and you always see like the bow fishing reel or whatever at Cabela's and I've never really been tempted to buy it just because in I mean to me sight fishing majority of Alberta isn't even a thing in general like and yeah. until you're in the mountain streams fly fishing and stuff like maybe are you sight fishing there there's been like one occasion that I've been fly fishing that I've like legitimately like seen the trout that I'm like basically sighted yeah <laughs> yeah not just assuming like hey maybe it's in that eddy or that pool or something like that like yeah it's yeah, very few and far between so that's why i never even considered that that was like really a, a viable tactic here at all but i had no idea that it was that it was limited to that species and i mean it's hard enough to see in a lot of the water as it is that i don't know how the heck people are determining species like that like a sucker <laughs> yeah i don't know yeah and i think the biggest and i never did get out to do it um uh no that's that's not true i did make it out one year um but in the fall in southern alberta they drain the canals okay and you can go to fish and wildlife and buy a salvage permit and then that allows you to harvest fish out of the canals by any means you want really because, because they're more than likely going to die anyways and this really? yeah this might be a big a big secret for some guys that i'm that i'm giving away and some guys might be torqued but yeah that's uh yeah that's a, a thing you can do you can go down after they drain the canals you can go down get a, a salvage permit from fish and wildlife and then you you select a area like a a certain zone of canals that you can that you can fish and uh and yeah you can go in there and you can net them you can bow fish them you can just normal fish them because they're caught in these little pools right so sight fishing is is a real thing interesting that's actually yeah. pretty cool so maybe then there is some more viable opportunity for things like that than i'm really giving credit to yeah when so yeah guys uh guys down south that's definitely something to you know if you're it's october you don't bow hunt but you want to bow fish then that's uh something you can do in a bit of your downtime on the weekends yeah or if you take out early or something and yeah you, yeah yeah that's right something like that that's cool yeah man. or sun, sun, sundays because down there you can't big game hunt on sundays so yeah that's interesting that's such a zone thing here that yeah 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 and the the fish cob i had a neighbor who was a fish cop and he said it was just just to give landowners a break really because yeah they just they would get so many people asking uh for permission and and stuff like that so it was just that's why the season is the way it is sunday through tuesday and in, in rifle season is no hunting and it's just to give landowners a a break because they too many people were not letting any hunters they were just posting no hunting and so populations skyrocketed and so they changed it up and kind of worked with landowners a bit heard their complaints and and then that that uh changed things is it, what he told me uh how factual that is i'm not sure but yeah no that's really interesting though i could see it for sure and yeah i mean you're gonna want yeah. a few days that someone's knocking on not knocking on your door or calling you or asking you or bothering you about it i never yeah. even thought about that for a reason why 
Yeah. And, and Sundays, obviously down there, Sundays is, is a big thing. People don't want to be disturbed on their Sundays down there. So mm-hmm. yeah, the day of the Sabbath or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, the Bible belt, right? A lot of religious folks down there that that's their, their family day, right? Yeah. No, and that's all getting on. That's, yeah. yeah. That's really interesting. And actually it's really funny. I was listening to, uh, I don't know if you've heard of the Food Afield podcast, but they're actually in Alberta here as well. Um, okay. It's run by a man named uh, John Schneider, but he's part of, it's kind of part of the uh, traditional bow hunting magazine. And okay. uh, they're really good podcast too. I just love to kind of shout it out. I've been listening to it a lot in the last month since I discovered it, but uh, he actually just ha- had on, um, one of the previous presidents of the Pope and Young Club or Pope and Young in general. And, oh, cool. And they were talking about, and I mean, it's like, this is a shout out to tell people to go listen to the episode. I don't, I'm not trying to yeah, rip on everything they were saying, but it was really cool because what he was talking about was how Pope and Young was actually, um, when it when it kind of became a foundation or whatever, like everyone thinks of it as like a, a scoring thing, right? Like, you know, for keeping track of like, you know, how big animals have gotten or whatever. But in reality, when it started, and I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but it's something that I learned from it, that they were actually just trying to showcase um, some of the best animals that existed in these species before they were extinct. Cause they were at that time assuming a lot of these big game animals were going to be extinct. So they wanted to have like a record of like, this is how big elk used to be. This is how big moose used to be or whatever. Cause they had assumed that they were going to lose it. And then actually through doing this, they started to have more people um, asking them about things like in what units were they this size and this and that. And it became a lot more of a conservation effort than a trophy hunting thing. And- oh, too cool. Yeah, and it really blew my mind. It was such a great conversation because um, in that same way that you're just mentioning, like, you know, Sundays was to give landowners a break and stuff like that. It's just something I never really thought of. And in the same way, when they're talking about like this Pope and Young stuff, you always think of it as like, oh, like if you have an animal that's in the P&Y books or whatever, like it's almost like trophy hunting, right? You're like, oh, it's, yeah, a large caliber um, example of that species. And then yeah, in all reality, that was all, yeah, a huge reason why there's even big game still to hunt was through conservation efforts and stuff. So, right. Yeah. Really interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, for sure it is. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's it, that podcast is yeah very interesting, and he gets lots of guests from uh, just kind of all over the world, all over North America and stuff like that. So it's lots of different topics, lots of like fishing and and hunting and bow hunting, traditional bow hunting and stuff too. So that's Mm -hmm. definitely something he actually just had Clay Newcomb on. So that's a pretty big name for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that is. Yeah. And that's when I'm always down to hear more from for sure. Oh yeah. With the bow hunting yourself. Sorry. He's that, uh, he's the guy with all the mules, right? Yeah, the, the like, bear grease and always hunting bears and always packing out mules and yeah, yeah, everything yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, yeah. I that took a took me a bit to warm up to 
everything he does. And then I'm like, man, now I'm like, that guy's so awesome. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, for yourself, like getting into bow hunting and everything like that, you were saying that was kind of like 20, what maybe I got that mixed up, but like 2013, 2014, or were you bow hunting when you were younger too? No, uh, I didn't bow hunt when I was younger. I mean, you know, I had a little fiberglass bow, some wooden arrows I'd try and shoot gophers with when I was a kid, but uh, I didn't start bow hunting until, yeah, 2014 or something. And yeah, uh, yeah my, my first kill was a grouse. Nice. Probably a lot, a lot of guys was a grouse, but, um, yeah. it's something I, I, to be honest, I haven't been terribly successful at, um, yeah. I, you know, I've, uh, I've killed my, well, my first muley buck I ever shot and killed was with a, uh, was with my bow. Um, and yeah, and that's, that is my, my one bow kill uh, I have under my belt. You know, I've, unfortunately you know had a couple wounds since then which if you you bow hunt it's bound to happen right mm -hmm. um and it's yeah it's uh it, it's it's completely different hunting you know like rifle hunting my whole life it was just learning to bow hunt was just you almost had to forget everything that you knew or 90 percent of what you knew about hunting and because you're hunting in a different time of year um and you know you, you yeah just your range your your options are just it's completely different so it's it's fun it's frustrating as all get out but it's it is a lot of fun and some of my best uh experiences that i haven't been successful have been from um from bow hunting you know mm. my closest chances with elk um you know we're, we're bow hunting and getting in in the calling season and cow calling and bugling and that that kind of chess match with an elk where you're you're trying to beat them at their own game and you know that's just something last yeah last fall when i was out uh up hunting moose i actually got onto some elk and it uh yeah i saw a couple bulls and started I, I hadn't really practiced with my mouth read and so i was just cow calling uh, i had a what do you call those a hoochie mama so yep. i was just using that and, and it it got the one smaller bull's attention he was a character bull he was a i think a five by three but he had a drop club there and he was kind of goofy looking and it got his attention and he moved away. He had half a dozen or so cows with him and he moved away and went into this group of trees and he just started raking these trees. So I thought, Oh, that's pretty cool. But then it kind of sputtered out after that. So I had this other little mouth call, which gave me a little more variation to my cow calls. So I busted that out and started calling a bit with that. And that actually got him out of the trees. He hopped the fence and took 20 paces towards me and then he starts bugling and i thought oh this is this is pretty cool but then you know again sputters out so i thought oh what do i gotta lose he's still 400 yards away i'm running out of daylight you know i'll throw my mouth right and i'll attempt to bugle 
So just by luck or whatever, I throw in the mouth read and I let out a, just a money bugle, a challenge, a challenge bugle, you know, it goes calling right to the ladies and this, this gets him torqued and he comes charging in and challenges me right away, challenges me right back with another bugle. So now I'm in a screaming match with this, this elk and I'm way out of my league, you know, like I said, I hadn't really practiced, but you know, we're, we're barking and screaming back and forth. I'm doing some cow calls and I'm behind a berm. I'm in the middle of pasture and there's one little berm with a dozen, um, poplars spaced out on this thing. So I'm just running back and forth behind this thing to make it seem like, you know, there's a herd of elk over here and there's a bull that's moving. I'm raking trees and stuff. And I got him to, I think he was 70 yards, but he was just across the road and I didn't have permission on that piece. Wow. I just needed him to cross the road and come into the grazing lease that I had permission on. And, you know, then, then I would have had a chance, but, you know, we sat there and barked and bugled at each other for 20 minutes or so. And a super cool experience and nothing to show for it. But, you know, if I hadn't been bow hunting, then I wouldn't, I wouldn't have got that memory. Right. So it's, it's not all bad. It's a lot of frustrating, but when I, when I have memories like that, then it's, that, that's makes it um, worth it. You know, makes me want to keep, keep uh, getting out every year and trying. Yeah, man, absolutely. That's uh, and that's the thing, like, you know, there's always, even that success, right? Like, even though he didn't cross the road or, you know, he didn't get the, like, I, the percentage of guys that are still yelling at a bull at that time, you know what I mean? It's very low. <laughs> it's like, yeah. And, and for me to pull him away from his cows was, yeah. no, I, I, I take that as a win. That was a huge feat. And just one yeah. more notch in the belt of, of, um, you know, elk hunting, which is something that I, I really, and being up in this country, I think my, my chances will go up, but um, that's, that's the one um, my one goal is uh thing I'm working for uh working towards the most is is trying to to harvest a, an elk you know uh oh, and whether it's got antlers or not any any elk is a good elk in my book so I just yeah I just want to punch that tag and I really like that uh just kind of the the opinion it seems that you have that's like it, it doesn't through talking to you it doesn't seem like you favor you know, the size of antlers or cow or calf or buck or doe or, you know, and I think that's like a, maybe like a really mature hunting perspective or opinion. Cause you know, you always hear guys saying like, Oh, well, you got to take the buck for uh, conservation. So all the does can reproduce and everything like that. But at a certain point, like even in the bow zone here, like there are so many does it's, crazy like yeah yeah for sure and they i mean they hand out supplementals for a reason and yeah. in you know like in um <clears throat> calgary bozone 212 you know you can get uh everything there the only draw is there's a late season cow elk but everything else is on a general tag right mm -hmm. <laughs> but you can buy uh it's basically a, a supplemental tag for either species you can shoot two does um, and then in December, 
you can shoot two more does um as long as you have landowner permission <clears throat> of, of course like you have to carry written permission i believe is a rule uh but that's a primitive season even because they're just the populations are so high and and likewise with elk in that zone because it's so hard to get hunting permission they want the guys that are killing elk to kill a lot uh you can if you get your late season cow elk draw you can kill five elk a year in that zone because you can get your general tag they give you a supplemental which gives you two tags and then that late season cow elk gives you two more tags Holy smokes! And but I mean, yeah, man, Edmonton, Edmonton bow zone is pretty crazy too. Because that's where I'm in, and yeah, it's like for like archery and well, well bow zone, but it's general moose antlered antlerless, general whitetail antlered antlerless, general mule deer antlered antlerless, and then they do the and I mentioned before the Strathcona whitetail hunt, which is same thing, different dates. It's in October to December, and it's it's only first week of December if it's the same this year, but. Um, and they give you three tags on that don't you or don't they the strathcona yeah so they give you three and one one can be a buck so okay it can either be three three does or two does in a buck so yeah okay but uh yeah same thing like it ample opportunity well not necessarily ample opportunity but like ample tags for yeah the opportunity you can find so yeah yeah those additional hunting opportunities there's there's lots of them if you look for them yeah exactly and and i think it's just funny because we live in such a time with social media that it's like it seems like the only thing worth doing is going chasing the biggest buck and trying to go for the biggest success and then you lose sight of like filling the freezer and having food and and i don't know i just it's such a i mean maybe beaten to death topic nowadays with how much people go back and forth on it and everything like that. But it's just starting yeah. to really grind on me and just to see different posts on social media. I think there was like a, there's that like little Fred bear quote that was going around recently. And it was something like, if you talk about your animal as like a freezer filler or something like that, you've already like missed the point of kind of being out there. That's a real butchered way of trying to recite the quote, but it's kind of along the lines of like, you should be happy with whatever you, you take in, right? Like you don't need to justify yeah. it to anybody. Like you can. Yeah. And that's, that's something I talk, uh, we talked about on straight shooting podcasts, you know, and, and you yeah. need to be, um, you need to be happy with what you're, you're killing, what you're harvesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and just, yeah, be, yeah. Be grateful for what you get. And at the same time, like, when guys are are proud of shooting a spiker or a doe or, you know, like social media, especially they just, they target guys. Like it's like guys have to justify when they shoot something small, you know, for that fear of backlash on oh, you need to give them a couple more years or whatever. And if trophy hunting is your thing, it's your thing. Right. But if a guy or, or gal is, is happy and proud of, um, of their their harvest you know as as a fellow hunter we should be patting them on the back and you know because there is there is so many people that want to take away hunting or talk down on hunting or you know mm-hmm. it, it's kind of a touchy subject and so you know you, we should be banding together and not tearing each other down you know what i mean like everyone should be 
yeah, you should be happy and grateful for your your kill. And yeah, you don't have to justify it as a meat buck. If if that's the buck you wanted to shoot and it felt right or whatever, you know, you, you made that decision, you shot it, good for you. Yeah, and if that's what you're it doing might to be. build a freezer to eat it, damn right. So that's what you're doing anyway, you know? like, yeah. That's like Yeah, yeah. yeah. and whether, whether you're a trophy hunter, like as long as it's ethical, the animal isn't going to waste. Um, mm. You know, it's it's fair chase. Like those those are the things that are important to me. You know, it's, yeah, it's legal, ethical, right? Like, you know, and people talk down about even, you know, these these big game excursions you can do these safaris in in africa and that you know and oh just trophy hunting and whatever but there's some regions that you know if if they didn't have these for lack of better words these rich big wigs going over there doing these hunts paying big money for these hunts their economy would just collapse because that is 75 percent of their economy and then the villages will eat all that meat right like they you know you'll see these things where they'll shoot a hippo or something and people oh, why are you shooting a hippo just for that's a weird trophy or whatever right but then you don't see in the background the village coming out there and and picking that thing clean and using everything of that hippo for their village right like it it yeah it's huge you know and and i was you know admittedly i kind of thought that at first as well until you know someone explained it to me and i did my research and and yeah these these villages these communities rely on that trophy hunting so much um, other than just the meat, you know, that, that, uh, economic, uh, support for them is huge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's such a, like, that's something like I straight up didn't know at all. And I, for myself, I just, I don't think I really formulated a, a, a rounded opinion about it at all. I, like I just didn't, it was too out of my realm or out of my element that I, I'm not totally aware of what goes on with the hunts out there, what happens. So I, I didn't think of much of it as like a trophy hunting bashful thing. I just figured it was a totally different thing that goes on over there that I'm pretty unaware of for, you know, what land management and units and things like that. Like I have no idea what, yep. what it's like. And yeah, to think about it that way, like you say, it shines such a, different perspective and the world and especially online is so just wants things to be black and white and it's so far from that in so many different aspects that yeah to even mention that's really cool because that's something that i wasn't aware of at all for sure was you know seeing like the village eating the meat and things like that and a hundred percent providing for their economy over there and things like that it's like man like people don't take that into consideration and most people that are trying to think of you know the benefit of things that way would probably jump on board with anything that would benefit their economy too regardless right so yeah yeah that's right but, yeah there's a there's a lot more to it than just pulling a trigger and an animal dying you know like even you know every i'm sure everyone's seen it on on social media and stuff but how how much um the, the importance of, of hunting in conservation and how hunters are the biggest supporter and funding of conservation, right? Where, yeah. you know, some, some people that protest it, they don't, they don't actually look into anything. They just don't like the idea of it. So automatically it's bad. Right. Yeah. And it stops there kind of thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But even something I, I kind of wanted to touch on too, that 
um, is a topic amongst even the community of guys kind of ragging on each other. Like you mentioned, like there's enough people that want to take hunting away that we can't really be arguing with each other. Um, was a post I'd recently seen and I don't know how much detail I should go into it or whatever, but you'd briefly mentioned, um, with archery, like, like wounding an animal or something or, or missing or anything like that. And, uh, someone had recently shared a, a picture of, you know, the classic, what color, like what, what blood does this look like to you? And I've been tracking blood and I can't find this animal or whatever. Right. And, uh, the comment section is just riddled with, well, you shouldn't be hunting if you don't know how to shoot or this and that and everything like just ripping a guy apart. And it's like, man. And then you have the other side of the fence. That's like, well, you clearly haven't hunted long enough. If you haven't experienced the emotions that come with something like that, because it's not easy or whatever. Right. Like, and, uh, I always think it's a really important thing that doesn't get talked about enough because yeah, like those things are re real things that happen. And I mean, a lot of times these animals are, they're tough animals like that moose, man, like you were talking about, like for that cow to, take three shots four shots before it's even dropping you know it's like they are built to survive out there right so it's like yeah like i i couldn't i couldn't um save the heart the heart was gone i i put three rounds through the heart and the bottom of the lungs were cut out you know and she just kept going that's crazy and then it's like yeah you know to to scathe something and yeah wound it a bit and it's you know you do all your due diligence doing as much tracking as you can and everything but you know if something happens to live like you know you see you hear guys talking stories about that where you know they thought they wounded it and then thank thank goodness they seen it next season like fine running around right it's like that's the best case scenario for sure but i just it leaves such a distaste in my mouth to see guys just like absolutely ripping on each other about that. Like being like, Oh, you shouldn't be out. It's like, there are so many factors within that small time frame. Even how you mentioned before, like what feels like 10 seconds or what feels like 10 minutes is like 10 seconds. Like time is just yeah. moves at a different pace. Like that. Yeah. Like, and I'm not trying to make excuses for it. And I'm not trying to say that like, you know, don't, give it your all and it's not a big deal if you miss or whatever i'm not trying to downplay it by any means either but it's just like i've personally been there where i've yeah and, and it's the worst feeling in the world like you feel sick yeah and it doesn't go away in and out it, it takes weeks for that to go away like you that haunts you for the rest of your life like that's oh, not yeah. just something that like you take lightly and you're not just like oh well screw that one up try again tomorrow like drink 10 beers and dry like no it's not like some really and, and there is probably some guys that it doesn't they'll go the next day and just lob yeah. arrows or lob shots right and some some there is some people where it doesn't affect them and they but for the majority of hunters i believe you know like you're saying it's yeah it's, it's not a good feeling they feel sick about it yeah and like i said i'm just not trying to say to not put the effort in and the practice and the time and the energy to making sure that everything's functioning properly and your shots are true and everything's accurate yeah. and everything. But yeah, I just, yeah, it really, mistakes happen. yeah, but it was, uh, yeah, I was actually just reading it tonight. It's a pretty recent one that just happened beginning of the season here. And, and it just, yeah, 
it's just it's just been really enjoyable talking to you about all this stuff because i can just tell from not only your upbringing but everything into adulthood and everything you're doing it's just like you're not you're not hunting to like show it off it's like you're hunting first and foremost for like the ethical continuation of like your own life and your family and providing for your family and it's just like that's mm-hmm. honorable and that's what it should be about it should never be about look what i did or I'm the best or look at what I'm, you know, and it, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. It's definitely, definitely a lifestyle that, uh, um, yeah, I enjoy and, and try to improve on every, every year, every season, every, every new adventure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's man. And I'm stoked to see the stuff that you're getting into. And like you say, like now there's, things that I can just tell mean the world to you when they happen, like your elk and stuff like that too. And the stuff you're doing with bull hunting and everything. And I'm just like, um, honestly, it's one of the biggest things through doing this podcast is just seeing that in, or like really getting to see how much it means to others, like what part of the journey they're on and what their focus is and how they're going to achieve it. And to see guys like achieving it and stuff, it's like, it's interesting because now, yeah, I'm sitting here more excited for the season than I've ever been for myself, but I'm also just stoked to see everyone else's when I think before, maybe um, before I'd really gotten to know people talking to them like this or anything like that. Uh, maybe before I would be like, like envious or, Oh, they take that or everyone's tagging out or these guys are getting all successful. And Oh man, I hope I get, get something or what am i doing wrong like you can really be hard on yourself watching everyone else be successful right and then the more i get to know people and everything the more it starts to realize like it's like no it should be a celebration right like everyone should you should see other people's success and be stoked for them and be like oh that's unreal right yeah yeah well and with social media you don't see you know you're just seeing all the success you don't yeah. see the the work in the season and the off season that goes into all that work. You know, like Adrian is an awesome example for that because he shoots. I'm sure he shoots every day. You know, he he sends thousands of arrows downrange every year, and he practices and practices and practices. And he he lives and breathes spot and stock mule deer hunting, and he's. Uh, he's successful very often. You know, and and people could look at him and be like, oh. You know, like, how's he doing it? It comes easy. You know, he's so lucky or whatever. That dude works. He puts in the work, the time, you know, and so it's, yeah, you you, you don't see off camera everything that has gone into their successes. Yeah. No, that's the truth. And, man, and he's so nice, too. Adrian's just such a nice guy, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. But, yeah. I don't know. I think we're kind of winding down but uh yeah other than that like do you uh have any other i know like you were saying you kind of went into the plans of kind of this year taking it pretty easy in the sense of not having a lot of draws or anything like that coming up but you got anything else on your radar for or any like big kind of goals and aspirations in the next year or so or next few years coming down the line um and stuff yeah, I just, uh, I want to fill a tag with my bow, you know, um, I got yeah. some supplemental doe tags burning a hole in my pocket. So 
So that's, um, yeah, that's probably the biggest goal for, for this year. Um, if I can get into elk, then yeah, that's, uh, that would be, uh, that'd be a close second and, you know, just, just enjoy, enjoy the season, fill the freezer and, and, uh, I'd like to get my wife on, uh, uh, another deer this year as well, you know, um, cause she didn't get to hunt last year. I want to make sure that she can punch a tag this year and cause it's yeah. important to her. It's important to me. And, um, I like, I like, uh, seeing that, that, uh, joy from her and, and how fulfilling that is for her as well. So. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's too cool, man. And that's definitely part of it. When you've felt it yourself to see someone else feel it too, it's just as enjoyable, if sometimes not even more. But yeah. Um, yeah, you bet. Man, well, Tyrell, it's been awesome. Actually, I, oh, man. And you know what? I wanted to just also mention so your Instagram handle there too is at 92T Stone, right? Um, yes sir yeah wants to see any of the other pictures or anything like that from things we've talked about or all the stuff you're getting into out there and everything you got a lot of really good stuff there as well so i wanted to throw that out there too while we were talking and uh yeah man i just want to thank you again for taking the time to come on and share some of those stories because just the way that you know you can tell the the passion in your voice and everything comes through with the stories you're telling like man it puts me right in the right in the hot spot like i just feel like i can picture everything that you're you're saying when you're sharing those moments and you can just really tell how much it means to you to be out there and that you really hold a special place for the outdoors and everything so it's just been a real pleasure to get to know you and hear some of the stories you shared man i appreciate it a lot oh thank you yeah pleasure is all mine yeah it's been uh been a real treat oh man it's too nice and uh yeah, best of luck, dude, this season. Like, I'm going to be uh, keeping an eye out. And same thing, I'd love to have you on again in the future. And, yeah, especially if you get any other stories that you're wanting to share, shoot them my way, and I'll be looking for them too. So, Awesome. Yeah, yeah, I'd really like that. Yeah, it was a, a good chat. And, yeah, I'd definitely be up for talking more, more hunting and uh, stuff like that for sure. Sounds good, man. Well, uh, yeah, I appreciate it again. And you take care. You have a great night there. You as well. And good luck to you this season. I appreciate it, man. You take care. You too. We'll see ya.